Now it is my great honor to introduce our speaker for this morning. He's someone that we all know and love. He's the spiritual director of our community, and he's committed to this teaching in a very beautiful way. Please join me in welcoming Reverend Patrick Cameron. Good morning. Martin, you can't sit there. Love that guy. Oh, here we are. Well, 2009 is almost done, huh? That's just time. So I invite you to, uh, if you'd like to, we're going to sing a song, say a prayer. If you'd like to stand and join me in that, please feel free. If not, please stay seated. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, There's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit, is in this very room in this very room in this very room and so I invite you to know with me in this moment speaking in the I am because there is only one one life spirit's life that life is perfect that life is my life in this moment it's always my life But in this moment, I choose it. And as I choose it, it chooses me in a new and wonderful way. And we live in that unbroken realization. And so I know that each and every one of us is guided and directed, supported and resourced. As we set the intention, as we speak our word verbally and in our our mind's eye, we impress upon this infinite law that which we consistently dwell upon. And so I give thanks to dwell upon the idea of Elegance and ease and abundance, health, vibrancy, being awake to our lives and understanding that each thought plants a seed. What a powerful, wonderful opportunity. Not a burden, not a responsibility, but an opportunity. And so I give thanks for this beautiful teaching. I give thanks for all the teachers whose shoulders we stand upon. I give thanks for the giving birth to the new consciousness, to the new story that allows each and every one of us to move forward with the grace and the elegance, the expectancy of continued great good in our lives, to continue to co-create at a powerful, wonderful level. For this and so much more, I give thanks, and I invite you to say with me in this moment, because it is complete in the mind of the one. Together we say, and so it is. Beautiful. Please be seated. Thank you. Thank you, Brown. Thank you, Martin. We were, uh, I brought with me from the Parliament of World Religions, making a world of difference, hearing each other, healing the earth. Parliament of World Religions. This was the program. 
It's a small phone book if you live in St. Albert. This would be the phone book. <clears throat> 700 breakouts. So it was a little difficult to get to all of them in seven days, but we tried, Laura and I. And I wanted to share a bit about that this morning, but I, 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 I always marvel at the synchronicity of the universe because of, oh, before we left, we had been, we've been working on a new vision statement for the center for about a year and a half. And so we finally completed it at our last board retreat. And at it, as Reverend Kathleen read you this morning, we came up with, we are a vibrant spiritual community alive and awakened by personal transformation. The mission statement to teach and demonstrate living from spirit and our core values to uphold in support of that are integrity, honesty, service, joy, empowerment, individuality, compassion, inclusiveness, generosity, and trust. And so it's a very alive uh, statement and we, we played with it and played with it and played with it for a long time because the, I don't think the consciousness was there for us to let it, we knew something different wanted to ha- happen but we weren't we weren't able to sort of grasp it, and so it laid dormant for periods of time. We went back to it, revisited it. But now is the time, and we are the ones. If not in 2010, then when? And so today is called The Big Leap, and The Big Leap was inspired by a, a book that I'm going to share with you over the next several weeks, and we've got a lot of, uh, of fun things planned. So if you're here next week, you'll, you'll receive a, a little bit of uh, something to take with you in regards to supporting this, this idea. And The Big Leap is about all of us have uh, experiences in our lives where we reach our upper level uh, limit and then we'll do things to sort of shut it down. Because what happens is it gets scary because the things that we've been praying for all of a sudden start showing up and it feels strange and odd to us. And so our tendency is to draw back. I've had people tell me over and over again, I watched the movie The Secret, started doing the affirmations, started doing the prayers and then things started happening, the things I was affirming started happening then I got scared, freaked me out. And I think that's a fairly common experience because when you first come to this teaching, there's nobody more scary than a, a born-again metaphysician, in my opinion, because <laughs> they're going to convert everybody and bring all their friends, and it's magic. We got magic going here, and then we hit the ever limit limits, and we say, oh my God, it doesn't work, but it does work, and it works all the time. And so, it's, it, it, and learning how to work with ourselves is so important, but it requires that spiritual insight and it requires spiritual wisdom. And, and I don't think any of us show up uh, fully orbed in that, that. And so that's why there's the trial and the error and it looks like the hit, the failures, and yet there's, there's no failures. There's just consciousness, consciousness playing itself out. Ernest Holmes said this. He said, there's only three things that I've ever talked or written about. Three things. Number one, there's one God, common to all, in through all things. In and through all. There's just one God, common to all things, in and through all things. Number two, there is a universe that responds with mechanical regularity to the spontaneity of our thoughts. It responds to the spontaneity of our thoughts. And the challenge is that we are not aware. When we're not aware of the spontaneity of our thoughts, we keep having the same experience over and over again, expecting different results, which the, you know, you, you've heard is the definition of insanity. And yet, if we're not awake to our lives, we'll continue to do that. And it's not a bad thing. It's just breaking that pattern. And the third is the 11th commandment of theology. Holmes said, Thou shalt love one another as I have loved you, in reference to God, in reference to spirit. And he says, we come to our own movement. Our movement is also, in a certain sense, a Christian denomination. 
It would be classed as that, but it is very much more than a Christian denomination. And I've heard me say a number of times, we are Christian and more. Then that's where that, that statement comes from. Remembering again that the philosophy of Christianity is a combination of the Jews and the Greeks. A God without and a God within, the mystic said. The highest God and the innermost God is one God. I changed that a little bit, he said. God as man, in man, is man. And he says, that's a bit more simple. He also has asked him, do you believe Jesus lived? I say, we have an authentic record of Jesus, so I accept the fact. But I also say, it doesn't make any difference to me whether Jesus lived or not. Because something had to be done. And if he hadn't done it, somebody else would. This is the way spirit works. He happened to show up or someone showed up. But the ideas and the ideas, we know the ideas to be valid and true because they wouldn't be with us. They would have died. But what he had to say was so powerful. And he was talking about, so we are teaching not about Jesus. We are teaching of Jesus, of the Christ consciousness. So we're in uh, Melbourne, Australia, for the Parliament of World Religions. And we went to several breakout sessions. Laura and I spent a lot of time at the, at, with the, uh, there were a lot of things that came out of the Hindu tradition that we, we incorporated in the West. And Dr. Holmes was greatly influenced by the Hindus. He read the, uh, he read the Upanishads. He read the Vedas. And the interesting thing about the Hindus, they don't have a celebrity. The, the Buddhists have the Dalai Lama. The Catholics have the Pope. And you know, various traditions have a figurehead. But the, the Hindus don't. It's a cultural thing. And it's all over the place. It's, it's, you know, it's throughout India. And the, the, the Sikhs came out of the Hindu tradition. And the Jainists came out of the Hindu tradition. And the Buddhists came out of the Hindu tradition. So the Hindu tradition is, is, is a cultural thing that is quite remarkable. And in spending time with these breakouts, it was just really interesting to, to hear so much of, of what we use, uh, the yoga practices, the idea of chakras, the idea of karma, the idea of, uh, of spiritual practice, meditation. First meditation practice I used was, was a, from the Hindu tradition. So we were, we were at a breakout, and there was a conversation going on. And, and towards the end of it, probably the last half hour, all of a sudden everybody started standing up. We're, and Laura and I were in the front. And so I knew something was happening. I think a saint just came in the room, so we all stood up. I looked back, and here comes this diminutive little lady, probably less than four feet tall, and very elderly. And she walks in the room, and everybody's standing, and we were at this presentation with the Hindus and the the Sikhs. And it turned out her name was Daddy, D-A-D-I, Yankee. And she's uh, 94 years old. And Daddy, at the age of 21, went off with... She was a founding member of the Brahma Kumaras World Spirituality University. And at the age of 21, she went away with about 400 people, and they spent 14 years in, in deep, in a in closed community where intense meditation practices and the study of spiritual knowledge, knowledge provided her with a firm foundation for the future. And she served as their nurse. <clears throat> and so she spoke very little English. She brought an interpreter with her, but she did say, don't worry, be happy at one point in time. We made that out. She had a great sense of humor. And she had this to say. I, went, I downloaded this because I was fascinated by this woman. And she came in and she was just looking around and she's just, you know, alive. And I knew that we were in the presence of a saint. And she said this, What kind of world is forming now beyond this winter of war and sorrow, of poverty, pollution, and death? In the winter, we foresee the spring. Those with a positive vision of the future give us an image of a world on this planet where all things are given freely where the highest, the high-test human potential is fully realized. I like that. The high-test human potential is fully realized. 
But we cannot get to that stage. We can only get to that stage when there are leaders to take us there. And, I, and, I, and so when, she, when I read that this week, because I knew something was up with this gal, I thought, is this not what we teach? It's about the high test human potential. And, and we need the stories to take us there. See, what happens is it's easy, it's so easy, I mean, 2012's coming. We already have people telling that that's the Mayan, end of the Mayan calendar. It's a bunch of calendars end there. And so it's, and it, what it speaks, it speaks volumes. People have been predicting the end since the beginning. <laughs> but if things are changing so rapidly, what happens for us, we don't handle change well. Have you noticed that? I, I've had such great spiritual practice. I'll bring, uh, Laura and I will bring uh, coffee mugs from home, or the, our favorite coffee mugs from home. And then we'll leave them here. And then all of a sudden we'll see people that we don't even know walking by with our coffee mugs drinking coffee out of it. <laughs> and I'll look and I'll say, what great spiritual practice. Look how attached I am to my coffee mug. I want to say, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> but I don't. But it's been great spiritual practice. I realize I'm, I'm too attached to the coffee mug, but there's change. It's a coffee mug. Share it. Come on. And it's not because I'm selfish or small. It's just because I'm so deep, if you know what I mean. <laughs> As Maria Nemeth would say, I got deepage. So, I love what Danny, uh, Daddy, and Daddy means, uh, they told us that it means grandma, but it, it, the, the, the download I got said it means um, elder sister. But an, an amazing woman, and she's a member of, um, in 19, where is it here? Sorry, she was, uh, she was one of 10 people that were invited to be part of a, a spiritual foundation that, that met in Brazil in 1992 uh, that helped be one of the, the consciousness bearers for the planet. And I don't see it right now, so it must not be important to share. But just an, an amazing consciousness talking about this transformation. So during the week, I was looking uh, throughout some th- information, and I watched a beautiful presentation by a woman by the name of Jennifer James that was at the uh, education forum that was put on over at the, the Agricom, and I know a number of our, our staff ministers attended. And she shared, it was an 80-minute presentation. Jennifer James is her name, and if you go online, you can, you can track her down. And she talked a bit about what needs to happen now for our culture, and she's a, she's a social anthropologist. And she said, what needs to happen is the new story. We need a new story. Because it's really easy to grab onto the story that everything's falling apart because everything's changing so fast. It took many, many years, um, it was agriculture. Many, many people were farmers. For hundreds of years, farmers. And then all of a sudden a shift came. They now, they, they went from 42% of people raising the agriculture and raising crops to 2%. 2% now are the farmers. And we're raising more crops than ever before. So there's been a huge shift, and we went in, we came into this urbanization, and urbanization was the, the mechanization, it was, you know, all the jobs that spring off of that, all the, the different roles, and we spent about 100 years doing that, so we, we, we developed the gas engine, you know, we developed ways of doing things, all the way up until now we're into this technological exchange of information, uh, computer stuff. She tells a story, Jennifer James tells a story, she's looking for a new car, and she, was, she went online, and her 10-year-old grandson went online for her. Looked all over, she lives in Washington, went all over Oregon, Seattle, looking for this particular car, this particular year, this particular color. A 10-year-old went online, found the car. They called the dealership, said, would you do the deal over the Internet? I said, no, we don't do that. We don't do any business over the Internet. You've got to come in. It's one-on-one, which is that old paradigm. It's that old mindset. 
And she's talking about how consciousness and the energy is leading the way. But for the most part, even educators are about 15 years behind. And she talked about how important it is. So, so if you want to know how to... How many here know how to program their cell phone? Yeah, there's about, there's about 12 of us. Um, I can answer my cell phone at BlackBerry, and I can, and I can look at email because I know where to, the button for that. But I've got about 10% of the capacity on my cell phone used. The rest of it, I haven't a clue. But if you want to figure out how to program it, just give it to a 10-year-old because they know. They know. I finally got rid of the VCR because the light kept flashing. It was making me go crazy. <laughs> but you know what I mean. And so she talks about what's happening on the planet, and I think she's right on with what we say because we're teaching about transformation. And it was interesting to, 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 you know, it's interesting to watch the information come together. I went to the parliament. I came back. We'd done our vision statement around transformation totally independent of any of the information I'm going to share. And then I'm watching Jennifer James tell her story. And she talks about Maslow's hierarchy of need. And as human beings, she, she says, how are we going to continue to grow and develop? Well, Ma- Maslow said the bottom level is survival. We, we need food. We need shelter. We don't want to use all our powder in case we have to shoot something, metaphorically. So we, and, and when we get scared, we run home. When we get scared, we run home. And so what happens for us when we hit that upper level limit, when we're applying this teaching in our lives, we hit that upper level limit, we'll get scared sometimes. Say, oh my gosh, this just feels too weird. I'm going to go back to my my original faith tradition or I'm going to put it down. And none of it's bad and wrong. It's just how we respond. Number two is security. Get a house, a job. And the problem is we get stuck in security. She calls it hungry ghost. If you look in the, in the world right now, especially in the U.S., there's a number of hungry ghosts. There are people that have seven or eight homes. John McCain had seven homes running for president. And, and, and once again, not a criticism, but an observation. So there's hungry ghosts. And what it, by that means she can, you can never nail them down, but there's never enough. They'll never have enough. They'll never fill the void. The hungry ghost. And we get stuck in security. Our culture is stuck in security. You've got to have more, got to have more, got to have more. She said that, that uh, what it is is to build an, another fort. They're empty and they cannot link up to the community. And the problem, she said, too, is that a lot of politicians are, are, are hungry ghosts. And they, they cast the vision, but the, the vision, is, is, it doesn't connect with the people. So there's this disconnect. So the story doesn't make sense. See, what happens, too, is people have bought in, especially in the U.S., people have bought in the idea of Horatio Alger. Horatio Alger went from nothing to great, great wealth. And people buy into that, and that's about the stuff. So what happens is, she said it's interesting, when they try and pass legislation around, say, a uh, um, uh, capital gains tax or a death tax, when people pass away, they, they keep raising the level and raising the level, raising the level. Well, the mindset that works that is everyone thinks one day I'm going to be a billionaire, and I don't want to be taxed, so I don't want these billionaires being taxed. But it's that Horatio Alger thing, more stuff, more stuff, more stuff. Number three, we move to the third level, but many people get stuck in the stuff. Nothing wrong with stuff. It's great to have stuff. You can do things. But it's, that's just one step on the hierarchy of need. Number three, how am I? We start to talk about how we're doing because we got security and we got stuff down. We got security and our, our survival down. How am I? We start talking about how we're going to take care of ourselves, that we want to be closer, that we want to have deeper relationships. We want self-knowledge, self-esteem, happiness. Great stuff. We're moving up that chain. The fourth step, self-actualization. Extend beyond ourselves, be all we can be. Part of community. 
we really begin to know ourselves. Now, the pitfall, as I see it for our tradition, especially because we're all about self-actualization, self-realization, coming to know one another, developing our spiritual practice, is what, what will happen is we'll get into depersonalization. And depersonalization is that now that I have found myself, I'm going to spend all my time with myself because I'm so interesting. I got such deepage. So deep. Have you noticed? I'm probably the deepest person here. But it's a pitfall of our tradition. Because once you got spiritual practice, and Maslow, before he died, offered a fifth level, and it's called transformation. So I found this, and I'm reading, our new, I'm reading our new vision statements, which took us a while to grow into. We are a vibrant spiritual community, alive and awakened by personal transformation. Transformation. That when the, the very quality of life that self-actualization brings, it's a holistic life. It's not just more stuff, but it is to extend our gifts to others and to the world. It's to extend our gift to others and to the world. But see, when we get scared and we think it's over, it's very hard to move into self-actualization and to transformation because it's scary and it's unfamiliar. And what it requires, I believe, is the courage to stand in the, in the being uncomfortable and understand that whatever needs to, be, to unfold and be unraveled or to be disassembled in our, our consciousness, that's part of the process. But it gets very, very uncomfortable. Bless you. Because we, you have deep beach. It's like the story of the guys. It's raining cats and dogs one day, and this cab driver is sitting outside this hotel, and he sees a guy run out, and he pushes the door open for him. The guy slides in, barely gets wet. The guy says, "What great timing! Come out in the cab, sitting there for me." And I barely, you know, this incredible rainstorm. And I'm look at that was, that was beautiful. The guy says, "Well, you're just like Seymour." He says, Seymour. He says, yeah, Seymour. Every, everywhere he went, he would get a parking spot right in the front of the building. It's incredible. Just had this amazing consciousness. He'd always pull up and there'd be a parking spot for him. And he was an amazing guy. He was so talented. This guy, he said he could have been a professional tennis player or golfer. He was so gifted. Talented, talented, talented. And smart and could sing. He sang, he could sing better than uh, Placido Domingo. Incredible. He says, you're kidding. He says, no. And he, he was incredible with women. Oh, the women loved this guy. Phenomenal guy, and he, and he spoke many languages, and he was generous to a fault, and he would always, he would always, he'd always, uh, everything he touched in business turned to gold. Everything he touched, and, and generous, and he gave and gave and gave, and he, he just couldn't give enough, and he kept, he kept coming into his life, and he always had enough time for everybody, and he was just fully engaged in the world, and he was an amazing man. And he says, well, where did you meet Seymour, and how long did you know him? He says, oh, I never met him, and I, I never, I, 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 uh, I just heard about him. He says, well, what did you hear about him? He says, well, I married, once he died, I married his ex-wife. <laughs> and I think Seymour got stuck in, in stuff. And you get stuck in that comparison as well. But Transformation where the very quality of our self-actualization starts to have legs. When we were in, in uh, Melbourne, we went to another breakout with some Hindu um, monks. And one of the guys was there from Hawaii. He has a temple in Hawaii. 
And, he's, and they were talking about how Hindus have more of a presence in the world. Because they don't, like I said earlier, they don't have the Dalai Lama, they don't have the Pope. They're, they're a cultural thing. And they've been around. They're the oldest religion. They've influenced many, many traditions and teachings. Uh, that foundational piece. And he said, what we found, uh, there's a discussion about how do Hindus have a greater identity in the world. And one of the monks, he was an Anglo, but had a long beard and, and uh, had been leading this, this temple for a number of years, said, what we've done in, in uh, Kona where our temple is. He said, we've looked for things within the community to, to help with. And so, we, for example, there was a sugar plantation that closed down and it affected the water supply to a variety of, of uh, uh, homes in the area. And so the monks just went out and fixed it on their own. And he said, whenever there's a need in the community, we go out and fix things, whatever we can do to bring good works to the world. And he said, that's how we show up. So he says, now the mayor of Kona says, this is my temple. These are my monks. And I think it's a great model. I mean, it could have been our organization. I mean, we're building schools in Malawi. But what about some, some of the, the things? We do the mustard seed and, we've, and the Elizabeth Fry. We've, we've participated in those things. But I think what happens for us, one of the ways we break out of depersonalization, now that we've found ourselves, I want to spend all the time with myself, is one of the ways to do that and to actualize that is to move out into good works in a, in a larger way. And it's just the natural progression of spirituality to move into the transformation so that we bring our spirituality to it. Because as we were standing in line one day, this woman stood next to us and she was in an interfaith seminary in Connecticut. We got talking about it and she said, are you anything like the Universalist Unitarians? Which is very much, very similar to what we teach. Very much inspired by Ralph Waldo Emerson. And they're very much about social action. And she said, I got involved with that because I found it interesting. But she said, the problem I had with it was it was devoid of spirituality. It was all about social activism. And I think it's very easy to lose one, to become so involved with being socially active and, and, and vacating this, the spiritual practice of spirituality. And I think what is really potent and wonderful and powerful is to be able to be grounded in the truth of our being and bring that into all the activities that we bring to the world. And so if you're doing that in your life, you're already, you're already moving into that, that level of transformation. But it requires the activity. I look at our men's group. Men's group's been going back and forth. They're into this reorganization thing. You know what I know about guys? Guys need a project. They need something to fix. Because guys aren't good sitting around talking about their feelings and doing process after process after process. I mean, I watch it. I see all the emails going back and forth. Now they're, they're getting together again. They're going an, to set it up in another. Just need a project. Go fix something. Find a house, help somebody. And that's what, that's, what, that's what spiritual practice is. But they'll get there. They'll get there. But the, the consciousness has to be there. It has to be inspired, not because I'm telling them to do it. But we're called to action. That's the transformation. And, and, and um, Jennifer James says the reasons that we hold back are there's a number of reasons why we hold back. Well, number one, we're not hungry anymore. We all have a lot of our needs met. We're not hungry. We have quality of life. We have incredible quality of life this day and age. And it's a beautiful thing, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we can fall asleep. When we have our stuff, we can, there's a tendency to fall asleep. And it's okay. That's why we say we're an awakened. We're a vibrant spiritual community, alive and awakened. Alive and awakened. That's our declaration. Not drowsy and asleep. Number two, we don't believe in education. See, we're a te- teaching community. Dr. Holmes said to learn how to think is to learn how to live. To learn how to think is to learn how to live. And you learn how to think, you learn how to manage your state. And if you manage your state, then it's, when you can manage your state, then it, there's a, it's very difficult to get scared, to run back, because you think that your security is going to be gone. 
If you manage your state and understand who you are and whose you are, there's one life. That life's perfect. That life is my life now. And the facts in your life may not, may not express that, but, but the purpose of spiritual practice, the, spiritual, the purpose of spiritual uh, affirmative prayer and meditation is to lift one's awareness and being beyond conditions, to see beyond conditions. And that's possible for all of us. That's what we teach. And that's a challenge because sometimes it's so thick and it's so scary, it's really hard to, to lift ourselves, but it's lifting ourselves in consciousness. Because in order for the divine to find a home, we have to be divine. In order for the divine to, to take hold of us, we have to create that home, that place where it can land. And it's not about adding anything, it's about revelation. But it takes spiritual practice. It takes consistency. It takes willingness. And willingness is huge. We don't believe in education. We're anti-intellectual. And I'll tell you what, these kids that are coming up, nurturing it. She said one of the things that's interesting about uh, attention deficit that's happening is the energy of the teacher is not matching the energy of the kid. There's a disconnect. We all know about consciousness. We all know about vibration. And so what will happen is these kids will come in with these ideas and many times it's, it's diagnosed as ADD when it really is the kids are just bored they're so far beyond their teacher and so how to stay alive and how to stay vibrant and how to give birth to the new story so that these kids gifts and skills can be accentuated and supported and nurtured she says we need to teach kids at 10 years old how to debate how to take one side of an argument another side of an argument have a conversation I wasn't taught that 10 years old I was getting slapped across the side of my head most of the time told to shut up and sit down took years to find my voice. In fact, when I started finding my voice, I, I, went, I worked with a therapist for a number of years. I drove my first wife crazy. She said, I don't care. I want to hear anymore. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. But uh, honey, I'm finding my voice. Yeah, yeah, I know. Go talk to somebody else. We get into de- egocentric. We become deep, deeply personalized. We, start to, we, we stay in that, that I found myself now and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to bask in that awareness, that experience. And that's a, that's a very common pitfall that we can get into. I watch it all the time because we've got the deepage going. We've also got the Puritan ethic, which is hostile to children. We've got a tradition of it. Children are to be seen and not heard, all of that stuff. And, and we've been, many of us were raised that way. How do we put that down? How do we celebrate this new consciousness? How do we begin to tell a new story? How do we give birth to the new idea and the new story? The unbonded possibility to live in that, as she said, in that, that high-test human potential. What a beautiful phrase. Here's a 94-year-old woman speaking the same language Ernest Holmes was speaking, which we're speaking, the, the language of transformation. See, what we're teaching is universal. And when you get to the deep spiritual practice, when the saints show up, they're saying exactly what we're saying. But part of it is, part of it is commitment. Part of it, I, I told the story on, on Wednesday night, but I'll tell it again because it's one of my favorites. It's commitment. And so a great example of commitment. The Pope announces that he needs a new heart. And so he's standing on the balcony at the St. Peter's Square. Thousands of people are there, and they all know the Pope needs a, a new heart. And so they're all, they're all saying, Papa, 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 because Pope means Papa. Papa, take on my heart. Take on my heart. Papa, take on my heart. Oh, Papa, take on my heart. Please, please, please. And so the Pope can't make up his mind, and there's thousands of people there. He says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Well, he's, he's not uh, Italian, is he? He's, <laughs> he's German now. Okay. I will tell you what I'm going to do. And, he, and he, he floats a feather out over the people, this little feather. He says, now, whoever this feather lands on, I will take their heart. And they're all so excited, and they're, cheer, yay, Papa, yay. 
And so the, flo- the feather's floating and floating, and it's just about ready to land on some guy. And he goes, take up my heart. Take up my heart. And it bounces around the group, and every time it's going to land, take up my heart, Papa, take up my heart. Yeah, it's easy to talk a good game. It is about commitment. It's just about, it's, it's about commitment whether it feels good or not. It's about commitment. Because if you're not uncomfortable, you're not doing the work. If you're not putting things down and shedding things and, 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 and welcoming the new vibration of the most high, it's very uncomfortable because it's a whole different language. It's a whole different experience. And to have the people around you and the support and the wisdom and the clarity, it's an important conversation to have because we're here to give birth to the new story. Your new story. My new story, and collectively the story of this, this, um, this group. It is that commitment. And she finally says, we think we are exceptional. We think we're exceptional. That's why there's nothing more for us to learn. And you see it all the time. There's, nothing, there's, there's, a, there's a ton of stuff to learn. I shared at the first service, one of my dear friends in ministry said to me one day, you know, she said, Patrick Cameron, you're a mosaic thinker. I thought, hmm, what does that mean? And the mosaic thinker is to be able to continue to take the pieces and put them together so they make sense. And, it's, and to stay fresh and open and, and teachable. Because there's all kinds of stuff. You'd be amazed at stuff I don't know. It would fill books. <laughs> but it's okay. See, it's not how good we are. It's how good we want to be. And that's, that's what keeps me alive. That keeps me engaged in what we're doing and why it's so exciting. I think we're doing amazing things and opportunities on this planet. We have gone over the last 30 years, we've gone, we've gone from this technology, we've gone from the urbanization to the technization, to technology in 30 years. That's why it's so uncomfortable. That's why we can't, you know, I can't, I can't program my cell phone. You know, VCR when it came out, I, I never got the light to stop flashing. I just hung something over it so it wouldn't show. But it has been a huge shift and change. And it continues to be. And they say now that more information, more new discoveries will be made in the next 20 years than were made in the last 200 years. It's coming, folks. And so to understand it and to be able to manage our, our state of being so that it doesn't scare us, that's why we go back to the old traditions, the good old, the old-time religion. Man, wasn't that great? Yeah, love that. It wasn't all that great. But It's exciting. It's exciting. It's an exciting time we live in. And it's exciting opportunities and possibility. So in your meditation, when you find those fears kicking up, that's the thing to work with. What's going on here? Why am I scared? Why is this shutting me down? Why is this closing me down? Does this still work for me? Am, am I scared because there's something for me to know or am I scared because that's my habitual way of thinking and breaking out of that? And it's not easy. I know that. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. So I'm very excited. We've got this book coming up. Next week I'm going to launch into the Big Leap. We have, I think, one of the most beautiful traditions on the planet. Ernest Holmes was a genius. Well before his time. And he, he gave us a gift of taking, filtering all these traditions, the Hindu, the Buddhist, the, the, the Eastern traditions, and taking Christianity, as I read earlier to you, and understanding at a depth, we are the teachings not about Jesus, but of Jesus, of the Christ, 
of the possibility. And so for us to really get that and understand if we're living in lack and limitation, if we're suffering, it's, it's really because we volunteered. And I don't say that to you in a, in a way to, to embarrass or make you feel uncomfortable. But the suffering is just understanding you're out of balance, you're out of harmony. A man came into the PowerPoint at this presentation. Beautiful PowerPoint. He said, ultimately, and they talked about plural, pluralism. That, that God, doesn't, God didn't make a, sign a contract with the Christians or the Muslims or the Hindus or the Buddhists or anybody else. God is just God to everyone. And, and he said it's going back full circle. What they talked about was harmony and balance. Harmony and balance. That we are all connected. Your prayer, your healing, your shift in conscience is a gift of this community. It's a gift of the world. And to deny that is self-indulgent. It's selfish. To live at that level. Because what you do then is you contribute to that same energy for others. And I don't want to do that. And I don't want to hang out with people like that. I will if I have to. But I probably won't be coming over for dinner. So it's an exciting time we live in. 2010. Time to take that giant leap. Let's look at this together. Let's look at those areas when we hit the glass ceiling. And we're not able to step into that. It's really about receiving. It's really about accepting and allowing. In a huge, big way. A vibrant spiritual community alive and awake by personal transformation. To teach and demonstrate living from spirit. With integrity, honesty, service, joy, empowerment, individuality, compassion, inclusiveness, generosity, and trust. If not in 2010, then when? So it is.